Welcome to the podcast, the destination for insightful discussions and interviews on the appreciation, conservation, and husbandry of reptiles with a focus on turtles and tortoises. Now, let's join our team of turtle nerds. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast, episode 73, everyone. We are now live and super excited to be here. Um, we're, we are unclear how many people may be seeing this in black and white if you're watching the live version, um, which is kind of fun and kind of cool. Um, it's not on purpose. You may think that this is some sort of uh, purposeful art, um, artistic uh, approach to this episode because of our esteemed guest that we have with us, uh, Ari Taub, who is a, a an award-winning filmmaker um, and also a bit of a turtle nerd. So we're going to talk about all that. So maybe this is like our little Raging Bull episode where we've got the the uh, esteemed director here as our guest and, and we have uh, black and white. I don't know. Are other people seeing black and white? No, Steve is not. Not. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, can I get, can I, are you seeing it, Kevin? No? Uh, I see uh, it in our feed, but not live. So we can just drop it. Oh, so I can just be quiet now and act yeah, like I'm yeah, a crazy yeah, person. Just cut it out. Awesome. If, if anyone, okay, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Ari, let's talk, let's, let's talk to Ari. Ari, how are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm uh, here in New York uh, enjoying uh, the uh, pandemic. <laughs> in enjoying the the pandemic, I hear pandemic, pandemic season is is beautiful in in the Big Apple City. I've I've heard <laughs> that. Quiet. It's very quiet here this time of year. <laughs> the winters are extraordinarily mild. Okay, um, so yeah, so so we're here. So Ari, you're working on a really cool project um, involving turtles, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, I'd also like to talk to you a little bit about a couple of your movies too. But first, we had kind of an odd way of setting this one up, and that actually comes from you, which was cool, because you you contacted us ahead of time and said, here's some stuff that I think would be really cool to talk about, so let's kind of talk about it. So we kind of want to play it almost like a roundtable discussion and, and discuss some turtle-related topics, uh, which I thought was really cool. So uh, what do you guys say we jump right in? Let's do it. Absolutely. Yeah? All right. All right. Let's do it. I'm excited. I'm excited. Okay. Um so one of the ideas you wanted to talk about was the protection of, of wild areas where turtles can be safe from human collection and habitat destruction, degradation. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. So let me just start this off. Um, one of the, I mean, obviously the interesting thing is when you're in the wild and you are maybe looking for turtles or just you happen to find them or whatever, it's, it's a lot of times it's accidental and, um, there are turtle species, a lot of the turtle species that are very rare or endangered are hard to spot anyway. And uh, one of the focuses of our documentary is to really locate wild populations, either known or unknown, to assess their health and their numbers uh, and to find out if, they're, if they are in fact viable or that they're declining or disappearing and all that. So it is a major topic in our documentary because all the species that we're covering uh, you know, especially the, you know, most of them are, are, are pretty rare. Uh, you know, it is, it is a big topic of concern to find out where the surviving members are and how they're surviving. It's really, really crucial in our documentary. And, um, I, and I, I know I've touched on this subject a little bit with, with some of you guys, but I'd love to hear some general feedback, uh, because you guys have been doing this and, and you guys already know the answers to a lot of these questions but I'm going to take this a step further. So I'd, I'd love to hear first from Chris, because I've, I've spoken to Chris about this at times, say about the wood turtle. Mm -hmm. 
you know, if you want to just tell me. Well, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of this pertains to protecting the habitat, you know, and, and there are certain, let me think here, there, there are certain people and organizations that already recognize that, that, you know, how are you really going to protect the turtle in the wild if you're not protecting the habitat first and foremost? Um, but a lot of people don't realize that, you know, um, and I think a lot of it, some of the things that concern me are, cause you, like you just said, a lot of times you come across these animals accidentally, you know, um, for a lot of us, we, we began by accidentally finding, finding a turtle and then boom, that was it. It, it, it you know, set the stage for forever after, after that. But, um, you know, these wild spaces that need to be protected that are already in some form protected, like a state park or a, a wildlife refuge or a preserve, people are allowed to frequent these places. Okay. They can hunt, they can fish. And if they can't do those two things, they can at least bike ride, walk, take their dogs there. Um, and I, for one, live for that kind of stuff. I, I need to be in those places. I need to be outdoors. Uh, so I'm by no means saying anything about how that should end ever. But um, by allowing that foot traffic, it presents a problem for a lot of these animals because, you know, uh, a lot of the reserves over here that you can go to, these people have absolutely no idea what lives there. Okay, so let's, let's take, for example, a, a spotted turtle just happens to pop up on the dirt path for whatever reason. There is a high chance that the person that comes across that that doesn't know what that is, is going to try to take it home, you know? So, um, there, I think that goes back to, to education, which is what we all are striving to do here is to try to educate people on every single little aspect about the importance of them in the ecosystem, why they need to be left alone, why captive breeding is or isn't important. And, um, you know, to me that that like this whole topic is 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 slightly controversial because or maybe it's greatly controversial because like i said people are allowed to be in these areas now there are certain things like, like let's take the bog turtle for example anywhere where they occur you can't even so much as sneeze there you know let alone go in it you know um but look at what look at the level the bog turtle had to get to to get that kind of protection so i think this kind of opens a lot of doors you know all right let me let me let me add a couple uh angles on this. So I, in, in my research, I found that um, a lot of the wild spaces that became parks over the last several decades, as soon as they became a park uh, and they had turtles in them, the turtles disappeared shortly mm -hmm. after they became right. accessible to people. So actually while they were private land or federal land or uh, army land, reservations, whatever, uh, while they were protected and people couldn't go in there, those turtles were existing. And then as soon as they, the government said, hey, we're going to make this a park, we're going to make this accessible, those turtles vanished. Yeah. And so it's, it's, a, it's a huge like negative effect that people, like what you're talking about, don't anticipate. Mm -hmm. now, and so we're really yeah. looking into that because we're, um, uh, yeah, I, yeah, we should put that image up. But um, the, um, like, for example, with the yeah. wood turtles and all that, um, the... Uh, I mean, the wood turtles are very, very uh, infrequently seen out in the wild. Mm -hmm. And you've told me in, on several occasions that uh, wood turtles aren't safe in the wild anymore, that, that actually, you know, you can't uh, let them go in many, many places without them just extirpating. The problem with wood turtles is they are, by nature, an outgoing species, you know, to, to an extent. You know, a lot, of, a lot of turtle species are extremely secretive. But the problem with wood turtles is they move. They're seasonal migrators. Uh, they're still not even a full 
knowledge base on what exactly the females are doing in the, in the peak of summer. You know, all we know is that they disappear, they dissipate into the woodlands and upland areas. And then at some point they come back to the water where the female, uh, the males are waiting for them. But a turtle like that, that, that moves is larger. Okay. Um, it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to think of, of where they really are safe at this point. Now there are certain state parks Steve had brought to my attention that, uh, there are certain areas that have been in place for a while where there still are what can be considered he healthy populations of these turtles or what we at least think there are. But then, like you said, there are places where they've been completely extirpated because we've allowed human traffic to, to go there, you know, and I think it also can to an extent depend on the species, you know, for some reason, those wood turtles there are doing well. Maybe it's a local effort. Maybe the locals love them. I know of an area where Blanding's turtles are considered gold in a different light, not, not to sell them in, or, or by any means, but they are so important to the local community that they've got constant watch. You know, there'll, there'll be 20, 30 kids from a school group patrolling an area where the females are nesting to make sure nobody's t taking them. Okay. So this is good. Good point. So uh, talking about the wild areas. So it, it seems to me, and based on uh, research that I'm doing, it's going to be appearing in our documentary where we're talking to people who've been trying to extend protections to say wood turtles. And we know that there is a huge uh, controversy when you switch a turtle from, say, uh, you know, uh, either a species of special concern to endangered. And there's a huge backlash from folks who are living out in the country who are, you know, living in property that might have turtles that are, mm -hmm. you know, a species of special concern. And then, you know, the, the state government is going to come in and now they're going to change the designation to endangered. And now suddenly that property can't be developed or they can't do certain things and uh, they can't put new developments in. And so because of this sort of controversy, a lot of uh, turtle species from what I've been learning are not getting the protection they need. Uh, that, that also includes the uh, eastern uh, box turtle. And as well, uh, you know, people who are living on these lands are afraid the government's going to take their land away. So it's a yeah. major concern. And this concern... Uh, is is going to cause a backlash against the work that we're trying to do with the documentary because people who are uh, following us or or following the work that we're trying to do they 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 think that uh, you know there are people that think that uh, oh this is some kind of a liberal thing the people who love the turtles are coming in to take away our rights it's the same thing with guns you know oh yeah uh, it, it, a lot of that stuff is comparable and I I think. It's it's twofold. You know, you've you've got you've got two major problems there. Once these animals reach such a high status of endangered or critically endangered or or even threatened or species of special concern or vulnerable, you've got the people that are afraid of their land, okay, uh, losing their land, and then and then what do you think that does to these people that are not afraid to run out there and poach them and collect them? And and, and whether it's a small number or a large number, they hear the word endangered, well, then that's where it starts being attributed towards. The illegal part of the pet trade. Oh, it's endangered. Everybody's going to want this. I can make a lot of money on it. And you'll see that people are, are people throw the term endangered around like it's a compliment to the animal. Exactly. It's not. It, it's, it's a terrible situation for them. So it's increasing the value of the animal, mm -hmm. almost like the ivory trade or hunting elephants. Uh, would you yeah. say what's, what's happening here is uh, sort of mirroring what's happened in Africa or Asia, uh, but on a lesser extent? I what's, think Anthony and I... You mean like American species? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I was just gonna. Anthony and I have talked about the how American turtles just get blindsided. They really do. And and but by the time 
they get the kind of effort that other continents have gotten or certain areas have gotten on their species, who knows? You know what I mean? Like, like sure, we pay a lot of attention to the bog turtle and we're starting to pay attention to wood turtles and spotted turtles and box turtles and diamondback terrapins. But I think there's a long way to go. And, and that, that is something that Anthony and I have talked several times about. It's one of the things that actually makes the turtle room unique, too, is, is we really, you know, we, we have our hands in a lot of different things. We're, we're, we're not like pigeonholing ourselves, but we don't forget about our American species. And well, I think uh, just to add to that and to take this to another level also is just that I think that there needs to be uh, there really need to be an update of the laws on a federal level across state lines in a way that's beneficial for turtles and for people who collect them or own them. Uh, there really needs to be a reset and update that the laws that are on the books and there's so many of them uh, date back to the 50s and 60s and, mm. and they, they date to a different time and a different uh, a different uh, period of, of people's concerns and all of that has to change in order to help uh, protect these animals and to get this to a new level where, uh, you know, I, I believe that um, these animals should be bred in large numbers and, uh, you know, reintroduced and also available for people to own at the same time. Because there's such a, there is such a, uh, we have an ability to do all of this, but there is no national level awareness of what can be done to turn around the whole situation, the whole endangered animal situation versus the, you know, possibility of the future where we could have these animals plentifully existing in nature naturally, and they'll, and they can be in safe zones, and then there can also be people that can own them, and they're not, they're not almost like what's happening with marijuana, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Similar. The, if I could add, uh, interject, the this is where I knew that certain conversations were going to go. Um, a lot of this stuff is super duper duper complicated. And the word that I like to use all the time is multifaceted, mm -hmm. where you have people on one side and then another side and another side. And then you're thinking, okay, how many sides can there possibly be? Because everybody's got some skin in the game and has different thoughts and everything. So the, the, um, the, the keeper in me is like, Oh boy, careful with the, with the federal laws, because in later in your, in your statement, you talked about people keeping them. That's something that we, we think that we put a lot of, um, stake in, in terms of being a way that we can really help, but, but the federal designation would really hurt that. Um, it would help animals in a certain way, but also hurt, uh, people who are trying to breed them in captivity. Um, then add to that, you know, reintroduction is so complicated because animal, and this is something that I comes up constantly. I can't tell you how many times, uh, especially because I, I specialize in Asian turtles, a lot of which are, are pretty endangered. People will contact me and say, Hey, Anthony, I'm interested in working with Spangler eye, or I'm interested in working with Cora or whatever. And, you know, can you, uh, give me some insight into which species would, would be a good idea to work with. And the, the more I learn and the more I get into this, the, the less capable I am of even answering that question because mm -hmm. there's so much that goes into it. And there's so many reasons why a lot of times it won't work. So, so what it comes down to is being able to be creative, think outside the box, working within the law, and trying to come up with with really creative ways to get the job done because it's really, really difficult to make that stuff happen. And I can go on and on about it, but just wanted to, to throw that out there. Let me let me add this to you. So obviously, 
you know, the role of the federal government, it sounds to me like on, on many aspects, it has been, it has had a negative impact uh, in many ways because of the way the government goes about uh, when they pass a new law. And a lot of the laws that have been getting passed over the last decade, two decades, um, have worked against uh, against what they're meant to do. Um, and so, you know, it's it's kind of like you don't want to, uh, I guess it's, it's you have to go into the, the people who are involved in, in legislation have to go into this fully understanding what they're getting involved. It's like the, what was the spotted owl? Or what was the owl in the West Coast that the loggers, they wanted to log the land and they didn't want to, uh, they wanted to protect the owls. It was a huge, huge controversy. This was going on during the Clinton administration. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, yeah. The, pro the problem is, one of the biggest problems, you know, turtles, regardless of the fact that they're such a threatened group of vertebrates, it, it it's in our faces as people who professionally work in turtles, you know, in, in the reptile community, what have you. Okay. But when, when you leave our bubble, okay, let, let's even, let's, let's simplify this even more. Let's just keep a turtle bubble. Okay. A colonial bubble there. The second you leave that bubble, you got to go through the snake, lizard, crocodilian, amphibian to get all the way out of those layers of the big bubble. And then that's where you're at. That's where you're at. And, and the people that are making these laws are not turtle experts. Okay. I have had several different, you know, agents at, at my house, you know, not, not for any bad reason, but, you know, and, you know, not, not, not to give any names out or anything like that. They don't even know the species they're looking at. They truly don't. Okay. Now, granted, they're not the ones that are actually writing these laws and, and, and seeing things go through. But I think that's one of the biggest problems that we're dealing with here is the guy that's, that's, you know, the guy or girl that's writing these laws and putting everything through, they don't really know what saving turtles entails. Okay. They, they may be more versed in megafauna. Okay. Or birds or, 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 you know, even sea, sea life all the way down to a tiny little mollusk, you know, that stuff people are just generally more well versed in. And I think that's where the turtle community, both the conservation and preservation side tends to suffer because we think that there's this big effort being made right now, but that's all just inside our bubble. That's it. That's the organizations that we're familiar with, whether they're little or big. And then, you know, once you leave that and you're approaching the World Wildlife Foundation or fun, you know, all those different big dogs, you know, they have huge priorities on their list. So a lot of times these reptile laws, specifically turtle laws, they're getting pushed under the rug and it just becomes a blanket effect. Okay. And sometimes we're more concerned with protecting a species that's critically endangered in another country than, you know, looking behind the bush over there at the species that lives in our backyard, or should I say used to live in our backyard and doesn't anymore because we didn't pay attention to it. Let me ask you this. So, so I get a feeling uh, in your community, in the turtle community, that, that this is a very, very fragile and combustible topic because what you're yeah. telling me is that, you know, some kind of good, uh, good natured or, or goodwill attempt to try to change something positively actually could have profound side effects that ends in kind of like sort of ruining all a bunch of other things that are going on because the people who are doing this are not really aware of what they're doing. So the changes they're making, any change has tremendous uh, side effects. Is that what you're, is that? Yeah, to, to an extent, you know, and, and I'm not saying that, that, that there's all bad at all. You know, the, the federal laws to me, uh, with the exception of, of some, uh, some particular federal laws um, 
are sometimes less of a problem than our state laws. The individual states have so many things that they need to figure out because, you know, th that's really in the end what it comes down to. Okay. Let, let, you know, let's say you, you, you never intend to have turtle, the turtles that you have across state lines, or you're happy with what you have and you don't intend to bring any into your state. You still have to comply with what's going on in your state. And like you said, some of these laws are so outdated, so poorly written that you're, you're sitting there reading it and you're going, okay, I'm either stupid or this was definitely written by a nine-year-old, you know? Right. And it, okay. it's, it's, it's tough, you know? Yes. Okay. Let's say you have three states and the turtle occurs in all three states, but the laws in each of the states are completely different. And then you have a state which the turtle doesn't exist. And now all these turtles are being poached from the three states that the turtle exists. And it ends up in this other state where uh, the turtles are uh, all being put in there. And then they're being recirculated into the pet industry. And then they're being brought back to the states where they came from at, at considerable expense with loss of life. I mean, don't you think the, these laws are creating all kinds of side effects that are, that are not productive for the turtle? I mean, a turtle walks across a state line and suddenly it's the laws of that state change the effects of what could happen to that animal. So what or I'm talking about turtle gets arrested. Right, turtle gets arrested. So it's just like when you you know drink at night outside. You know, so so the thing is, what I'm trying to say is, we need to step away a little bit from human laws and human rules and look at what's better for the the animals, what's better for the turtles, how to how they can survive in a way uh, where their uh, their existence is is better preserved and understood, and they're more left alone as opposed to the way things are. I mean, we have, we have so many issues and, you know, it's a topic I do want Anthony to bring up about the red-eared slider, which we'll talk about mm -hmm. a little bit later. But, um, you know, all of the things that we do, a lot of them are, are driven by emotion or lack of knowledge. And, uh, and then we're just kind of settled with it and we're working in those situations. And I think that, uh, there can be a much more, there can be a much better approach and understanding. And the whole point of doing a documentary is to allow a large uh, amount of people, a large uh, sort of the, the conscience of folks, uh, to absorb and see things that they would never understand or see before. And, um, you know, these, you know, and, and being able to shape the dialogue and what, what the what is the right thing to do and what is the wrong thing to do and it's very important that's why we're having this discussion is you know i want you guys to influence what i'm doing while i'm trying to influence what you guys are doing and we're moving in the right direction the same direction not moving in an opposite directions because you know obviously the people that care about turtles it's actually a very small percentage of the population there's a lot of people that are into ninja ninja turtles but not people who really know about the difference between a snapping turtle and a bog turtle so you know it's a small group but that group is expanding with education mm -hmm. and 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 the fact that uh, we can do this documentary and each episode will teach people about very specific things that they don't know about uh it's going to educate them will improve the the lives of turtles uh, overall and and will improve the situation because people will become aware of it so i'm looking for focal points where we see sort of real problems and where things are really sort of sort of jammed up or things are just frozen stuck because no one wants to move the ball because they're afraid to move the ball because they're afraid it's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking for a break in a positive way that's um, that's not going that's going to avoid all of that. And obviously, this is like you said, Anthony, it's a very complicated uh, situation with many, many angles. I right. think that what you're doing, though, is. is a step in the right direction and it's something new because you don't, the documentary that you're working on is going to shed a different light. You know what I mean? It's going to, it's going to reveal 
some of these different sides that are that are really in the end have the same when you when you're, when you separate the good from the bad in any of these fields you you have a common denominator here it's a love and a passion for turtles it's the want to have them around for generation after generation to be able to experience them whether it's in wild or or, or the cat or captivity uh, and in a perfect world both and um it, it to me it's just it, it's kind of a breath of fresh air you know it's a step in the right direction because turtles are not a priority to most people except for our bubble and you know steve was even saying before that uh there's there's a lack of funding for this law enforcement too you know so there's there's no it, it's not a priority turtles are not a priority unless you are in our bubble right 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 okay we can go on uh anthony if you want to sure so so um a couple things that popped in my head we were just talking about, one of which is is one of the bullet points we wanted to touch on. So um, something that popped in my head, state law, I think a good example of what you're referring to with laws that don't match up and how there's kind of laws, I'm sorry, holes in the map in, in terms of the map and, and states and, and their laws. A big one for turtles has been South Carolina. I know the TSA has done a lot in South Carolina, that's where their turtle survival center is, and and they're yeah. doing amazing work there uh, to try to make things work. Steve is reminding me also that Louisiana is a place like that as well, and those are places both where you'd see a ton of box turtles coming out of there um, and and going into the pet trade. Um, obviously, recent wild caught in in large numbers. Um, just what you're seeing on the surface, which then you know tells you that there's people that are below the surface contacting people who they know and there's you know uh, a, a much larger number of them moving without ever hitting the classifieds um so those are two states where um where that's been an issue i, I think south carolina the tsa has been been doing some really good work to get out there and and work with their local po politicians that sort of thing the other one you mentioned is is the federal law which, uh, you know, the Endangered Species Act uh, came about in the 70s. One big issue for, for turtle people is that when I thought it was the 70s, Steve, but you, you can let me know. You can let me know. But I, I thought it was the early 70s. But um, that came out and um, listed um, exotics and natives that were 1973, uh, that, that were, um, needing to be protected. Um, I think that the natives should be, and I don't think there should be CBW permits given to people so that they can breed them. They, they need all the protection they can get here. And there's a lot of holes in, um, out there for them to kind of fall into cracks for them to fall into those species like bogs, tur bog turtles and, and, uh, a couple of the map turtles, uh, the ring map turtle, the yellow botch map turtle, things like that. Um, I'm fine with them being listed and for it to be really difficult to work with them in captivity. That's fine. Um, um, something that doesn't sit well with a lot of people are the exotics that were listed that really seem to be, have been listed for no reason. Um, the Indian spotted pond turtle is an example we use all the time. Uh, Geoclemys Hamiltonii. They're, they never should have been listed. They're not even a super rare turtle, but they've been listed since 1973 and they're being bred in huge numbers and can't be sold, you know, for $30 across state lines. So they're just sold in the state of Florida where they're bred for the most part. So that doesn't make much sense. And then Steve is telling us why the exotics were put on there. <laughs> St 
Steve, are you muted right now or could people hear you? Okay. So I can't just hear you. Okay. So now everyone just listened to you for 12 seconds and didn't hear anything. Okay. Terrific. And I was listening either because I was just nervous. Well, 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 I, well you've long. kept going like yeah. you were trying to interject. So after I tried to talk over you three times, I just let you go. Okay. So Steve was helping me and I didn't hear what he said because I was so uncomfortable. Okay. So the... <laughs> hey, I got a quick question before we move forward. Come uh, on. I was getting to the end of my long-winded point. Sorry, go ahead. Long-winded. This guy. is very unprofessional. I feel bad for I'm you. the worst. I'm no, I'm going to go into it next. You're not the worst. I love you. We're, we'll go into it next because it was leading up to his next bullet point where I was going to give it back to him. But go ahead with your question first. It was just very simply, uh, what's the doc documentary's name and when will it be out? And my dog's screaming. Sorry. Good question. <laughs> All right. So uh, it's basically called Turtles of North America. Where are they? And uh, we're going to be doing a 12-part series. So the film will look at many different species that are uh, – endangered and also what I call indicator species, species of turtles, which are not endangered, but they indicate how well our ecosystem is in balance with nature. And uh, then some of the subtopics that we will be working on will be the uh, red-eared slider populations and what that whole thing means, pet or pest. And then the other one is uh, the four-inch rule, which I think that uh, maybe Anthony was leading towards <laughs> soon. <laughs> How good are you? That's where I was going. Four inch. Passed in four 1975. Yeah, because of uh, like po politicians' children, right? Do you know more put, about that, put, Kevin? Put or turtles you... in their mouths. Yes, yes. Anthony, I thought it was hogwash. Go, go ahead, Ari. What'd you say? No, I was going to say Anthony knows a lot about this. this is, we're going to be doing a lot of on on the four inch rule um, in the documentary, um, yeah. but um, I think it's uh, something that. I think it should be abolished, the four-inch rule. Totally. And, and, uh, and you know, even if I go to a pet store to buy a red-eared slider, I have to sign paperwork like you're buying a dog. It's like they make you sign paperwork that says if you buy this turtle, you open yourself up to the risk of catching salmonella. Your family members can get it. I mean, they're taking a much harder line these days mm -hmm. when, you're, when you're getting all kinds of animals. So I feel like the four-inch rule should be abolished, um, and we need to find out a way to – get that to the right people so that they can actually change the laws because those laws are uh, 40 or 50 years old. There was some progress being made on that, but uh, that kind of went south, if I'm not mistaken, for a certain reason. Right, Anthony? Yes, I'm right there with yeah. you. Yeah. Um, which the whole thing, the whole reason why it went south ended up being um, rather stupid. But yeah. um, people have worked really hard on that um, because it doesn't make sense. I mean, you can't tell me that you can't like, OK, if if tomatoes from Chipotle are giving everyone E. coli or salmonella, no one's going to stop. Or if yeah. somebody gets attacked by a dog or eats dog poop and gets Giardia, that's like you can't tell me these things aren't happening. The issue is this is an exotic pet that is not important. It's seen as a throwaway pet. It's a dime store pet. That's what they are. And the reason why they were kept that way for so long is because it didn't matter to anybody. That's just what it was. The goldfish hey, put, at the hey, fair. Sorry, Steve, you want to put the photo up of the red slider I sent you? If possible. If not, sure. He'll, yeah. he'll, he'll put it up I right while we're talking. For the, for the public here who's watching this who, who don't know anything about what we're talking about, it seems too, like, uh, wonky, turtle wonk. Uh, the four-inch rule is basically— you Why can't, don't you call the documentary that? Turtle wonk. 
Turtle Wonk with Ari. <laughs> Change the title later. Thank you, Chris. Um, here's our photo. So my, my point is that you've got this four-inch rule. So what it means to the to the turtle person who doesn't know anything about turtles, you cannot go into any pet store in North America and legally purchase a turtle that's under four inches. And the reason for this is that children uh, can put them in their mouths and they can contract salmonella. And, uh, you know, uh, they banned all, all sale of turtles that are under four inches long um, because then a turtle over four inches is harder to put in one's mouth. Is that, is that a good sort of, sort of summary of it? There's that more is to perfect. it, that is perfect, yeah. The, the only part, the fact checker, is that it's not North America, it's just America, an American law. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, so I want to add something. So, so you've got this law in place, and, uh, but then at the same time, people can order turtles online that are baby turtles as long as they're sold uh, for scientific purposes. So mm -hmm. I don't quite understand how that works. I mean, how that's legal, but the other thing is not legal. And I don't know what you, know, you guys are more specialists on, on that. It's a law that is rarely, if ever, enforced. And partly because when if you do speak to some of the people on, I'll say the inside a little bit, you know what I mean, that have any kind of better understanding of this law than we do, they don't. Um, they themselves basically think it's ridiculous. Um, and there are, there are certain stipulations in place between uh, businesses and hobbyists, okay, where, um, you know, if it's not being done as a business, or again, there's more to it, um, it's okay. If, uh, you know, if it's a business that, that's uh, the certain wording and stuff, you know, um, but, uh, you know, in the, in the 30 years that, that I've been involved in turtles now, God, I just dated myself. Um, <laughs> I know of one person that, um, did get in trouble for it and they were already in trouble for something else. So it was kind of like tacked on type thing. Um, there, I know of certain, uh, courts that threw it away, not, not that particular situation, but other people where it was like, you know, um, so it, it's, it's, I think like, like you said, like it needs to be abolished. Like Anthony said, it's ridiculous. It, it, it's something that they themselves are, you know, just kind of, I think torn on, you know, or, or, or again, because turtles really aren't a priority. It's not paid much attention to because there are arguments that can go up against it. Every single time you go to the supermarket and buy chicken and put it on your counter, guess what? Okay. Uh, you've got, you got a great chance of getting salmonella from iguanas. You know, but you could buy as many baby iguanas as you want, you know. Right. So it's a human perception thing. It's a human, yeah. yeah. And a lot of things involving turtles is, is human perception. And a lot of things involving turtles is, again, like they get swept under the rug. Well, this is in place. We don't feel like dealing with it because they're not important. They're, so, a, throw, so, they're a throwaway pet. So one of our episodes is going to look at the four-inch rule. And what we're trying to educate, not just the public, but but the folks that actually write the legislation, is that you know, uh, when you get a turtle, it is much better to raise a turtle from a small size than starting with a full grown turtle or a turtle that's already mature for many, many reasons. And, uh, we're going to go in deep detail on that in one of our episodes. And obviously, uh, Chris, you being a, uh, a breeder of turtles, you know, the whole experience of, of raising hatchlings to full adults, as opposed to, you know, working with a wild caught turtle. And the same thing with Anthony, I, you know, because you're dealing with, uh, you're also breeding some turtles. And, and so both of you guys understand 
the incredible value of being able to raise a turtle from a very small size to to a full grown turtle and and not just that but also habitat concerns and again uh folding this into the red-eared slider you know we've got red-eared sliders which are illegally available as babies but people are growing them to they're growing to massive sizes which people cannot sustain in their homes and then they're ending up in chris's property or people are dumping them in rivers and lakes all over the place so the four inch rule in the red-eared slider actually is there are two things that cross over which are both you know need to be fixed there they have it there's a negative impact on both things so we're going to delve into two, we have two separate episodes they're going to delve one's going to delve into that the four inch rule and the other's going to develop delve into the red-eared slider but i find that to be high i find those two things to be highly controversial they're very controversial and just to end on, on one quick note on that you know they were so con- you know it was such a big concern to outlaw red-eared sliders to outlaw the you know the four inch law that was put in place because of red-eared sliders you know Oh, it's such a priority. Our children are getting sick, this, that, and the other. Well, look at what our biggest problem is, the rendered slider. So, you know what I mean? We've done little to fix any issue with them because really the problem behind rendered sliders is us. It's, it's still people. The rendered slider's not doing it. That's a beautiful animal. You know? I would argue that it's made everything worse. That's um, what's our, yeah. Now, because of the four-inch law for those small turtles, now everyone who wants a tortoise and Chris or Andrew Hermes could let you know there's a lot of people in America who want tortoises. Mm-hmm. People always want tortoises. And now when you want a tortoise from PetSmart or Petco, you get a an animal that was wild caught, taken out of the out of out of the wild across the ocean and shipped to a store. Half dead. How, who knows? Who knows how many stops it makes along the way? And now you have that thing wearing a, a hat that you crocheted for it, and <laughs> yeah. it's walking across your kitchen floor with your with your two year old kid. Like yep. that, to me, is more of a concern than a captive bred animal from a clean source that you reputable source that you know. Um, and that's, and people, and so part of it is people being educated about this process too. Yeah. Like readier, readier sliders. I'm so sick of seeing them on, on beginner species lists. They're not a beginner species. They wow. get to be 12 inches. It's ridiculous. There are a lot of turtle species that you can keep in, in subpar conditions and they can do really well. And then sometimes they just die. Readier sliders included. Um, but you know, make no mistake about it. Readier sliders were, and still are the most, uh, popular, most, most, uh, often bred and most often purchased and owned species because they produce a lot of eggs up to six clutches in a year, up to 33 clutches, um, eggs in a clutch, and they grow to four inches really fast. So they produce and they grow really fast. And that's why you're still seeing them, even though they're uh, the four inch law happened. Um, so those are still the winner. Uh, but then, you know, the sad part for looking into the future, some places like my home state of Connecticut has has outlawed the sale of, of red-eared sliders since October 2018. Terrific, right? No, it's just that we're going to bring in the next species. It's going to be mm-hmm. uh, map turtles or it's going to be cooters, which are even worse because they get larger. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are, you know, North American species that can handle winters and, you know, they're surviving up here in the cold where they shouldn't be. So yeah, well, Anthony, um, let me let me add something. I know this is a very these are hot topics and they're very specific. They're pinprick topics that are part of the the, the problems in the in, in the whole industry. But uh, here in New York, for example, at Central Park, you can go out there on a sunny day and you can see thousands of red-eared sliders all swimming around in the ponds. And uh, what's interesting and very people people know this, 
that they cannot uh, they cannot reproduce uh, uh, below a certain temperature. You guys probably know this, but when you cross a certain line, the radiator slider cannot reproduce. the The eggs are not viable. They will not uh, they will not hatch. And so all of the radiator sliders that are existing in these ponds in New York City have been there for years, and they are being replenished every year uh, annually, um, uh, over and over again. They're being replenished to these ponds by people who are dumping them. They're not breeding there, so. It, you, you can see that it's almost like people discarding plastic or masks. It's the people are just as long as they're discarding these turtles, it looks like they're, they're just living there, but they're not reproducing. And so uh, we are perpetuating their existence there when they shouldn't be there. Uh, they should be painted. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know Aria, what those ponds look like, but they, they are breeding in Connecticut. Sorry. Go ahead, yeah. Kevin. I was going to say the exact same thing. I mean, we have the exact same, you know, temperature that you have in New York. Uh, in Connecticut, eating populations of of uh, red sliders. Oh it's yeah. Just, what's difficult with science is you you need the proof. <laughs> you can't just so so like uh, we knew for years that there was an introduced population of spiny softshells here in Connecticut, but it wasn't until we were out and someone in our search party was there and like the herpetologist for the state of Connecticut was with us and we found a hatchling spiny soft shell and was a, we were, we were able to take it and, and basically that animal was preserved in the natural history museum in New York city. Like until something like that happens, it's not really like officially substantiated that something is, has actually taken hold there. Um, but you know, there's accounts and it's just starting to happen in Connecticut, which obviously is super maybe, cold. Well, actually maybe because of global warming that they're starting to hatch more. I don't know. I mean, because I know that, the, for example, the eastern panted turtles are extremely cold tolerant, and they can they can hatch and they can overwinter in the nest, um, and they can be frozen. But from what I heard, that the red-eared sliders, you know, cannot do that. That's and, theory. That's that's <clears throat> theory. And what we need to to we need specialists in here, to, uh, scientists to come in to, here to overtake <laughs> the theory, to overwrite that theory. You need scientific proof. You need actual evidence to prove that that theory is not accurate. So, and it takes a while for that. Yeah, you guys are saying in Connecticut, yeah. there's a uh, confirmed uh, sightings of newborn uh, red sliders. Well, I haven't read yeah. the paper on it, but I heard from the herpetologist. Here's another thing real quick. And this is stuff that we just learned in captivity. And, and, and I, it's a small sample size when you compare it to what it could be, but you know, take, take me right, right here. You know, I may be warmer than you guys cause this is Southern New Jersey, but I still have a significant winter and there are tortoise species on my property that are left outside year round, 365 days a year. They never come inside, whether it's two degrees or 200 degrees and they reproduce. They go to sleep in the winter. They wake up in the spring. They reproduce. They do it all over again. And these are some of these animals are coming from islands where the coldest it gets is 55, you know, and, it, and, it, and, and some of these islands are so mild where they don't even really ever get that hot. You know, they're, they're, they're barely reaching, you know, the high eighties, you know, whereas we're, we're stuck in like 95 for like 30 days straight here, you know? So it's, um, adaptable. It's adaptable. life will adaptable. find a way, you know, yes. <laughs> should we go to the next? Yeah. Well, before we move forward, I want to add one thing in, uh, everybody's such a great speaker on here that it's hard to jump in because everyone's just, you know, going back and forth. Uh, but. I want to throw an opposition to the four-inch rule, like why I think it's actually not the most ridiculous thing for us personally. Um, you know, like Anthony was saying, we're both in Connecticut and we've seen it firsthand. I see so many redwood sliders, right? Uh, the 
local populations or local places that I go to to go herping right now for turtles, um, I see the majority of the species that we have in Connecticut in this one location, which is great. But I've also witnessed firsthand redder sliders laying eggs. I've also witnessed firsthand baby redder sliders there. All right. So I know for a fact they're one laying eggs and two, you know, either hatching or someone's releasing babies, which usually doesn't happen. Anthony. Yeah. (laughs) I should never have shown him my spot, you know? Um, Okay. So, yeah. So I I get that. I've never seen that. So that's that's new to me. Um, I I suppose this is a topic, though, that is not terrible. There's not a lot of knowledge on this. So you're, you know. Uh, your 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 information is very useful, but obviously the red-eared slider is everywhere, and and the yeah. point is is that it it's all over the world. I mean, they're in Amsterdam, they're in China, they're everywhere, and um, you know the, one of the problems is is that the general public doesn't really understand what's going on. I mean, mm-hmm. we're living uh, we're living almost like back in the 1930s when alligators were you know ending up in the sewers in terms of the red-eared slider. Like it's sort of uh, the, the, the whole thing needs to change. And I know, and I, there's a lot of people who might be listening in or are going to watch this who actually have pet red sliders and they love them. And they would be very, very insulted by what we're talking about. And again, this is like human versus human emotions versus emotions. You can do, we can have this discussion about dogs and cats, you know? Yeah. yeah. But well, yeah. my, my thing, all right, not to cut you off. But my thing wasn't about the red slider necessarily. It's that if we remove the four inch law, cause our, our state, you know, banned the sale of red sliders, but instantly like day two, you know, we got map turtles in there now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if they remove the four-inch law and now they can have hatchlings in pet stores, people are way more adapt to or opt to apt, excuse me, apt to buy a hatchlings <laughs> than they are other larger animals. You know, right off the bat, they're like, oh, that's cute. Mm-hmm. It's only twenty dollars because they didn't have to put the time into raising it for however long it takes, you know? And to so that when, store no matter what. Yeah. So it's in the pet store, and now I think the sales would go up if they're hatchlings for whatever species. And then eventually same thing happens. They get bigger, they get released. And now all the native species in these, you know, in these states that can't handle it because they're being outcompeted for food uh, from all these other species that are quicker to grow. Well, okay. So wait, let me just let me just throw this at you guys. Really important, right? Forward thinking. So, uh, in my opinion, or in some of the work we're doing, the idea actually is to have, in the long term, native species that are being sold in the local pet stores for the native for the area that they are living in. It's the same thing what we're doing with plastics and garbage and everything where they're stopping the, the manufacturer, the use of plastics. You have to go to the grocery store with your bag and you use it over again instead of throwing it away. So if you've got all these, and I, I, again, the whole thing of imports and exports and all that, it's a, it's a whole other issue. I don't want to get into that side of it right now. But I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, that native species are being sold um, in, a, in an area and the animal escapes or gets discarded. They're not dealing with an introduced species or a non-native species. And so I think moving forward, it would be better to have native species available for sale that could be captive born in their native country, as opposed to, you know, having a Chinese turtle here where it's exported from China or having a Indian turtle in, um, you know, Paraguay that, you know, the Paraguayan turtle should be there. So, I mean, the whole point of that we're losing all of these animals from all these different places all over the world is because people are collecting them and moving them around to have each different animal in their collection. This is a massive amount of movement of traffic of animals that are, uh, you know, basically homogenizing massive populations and extirpating them from their native habitats to do that. Do you want to hear why that could be worse? Yeah. I was just going to say. Do you hate me? Do you hate me? <laughs> there's, two, there's two reasons. I want to see if you hate them both. 
I have to. I have to. So if 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 readier sliders are are getting released in Connecticut, we use that as the example because we were just talking about it. Uh, that's bad enough. There's you know risk of of things being diseases being brought in. There may be some uh, chance that radar sliders are out competing painted turtles for basking sites and resources, pond plants, that sort of thing. Although that has not been really substantiated by science. I know of some limited research uh, with them and the European pond turtle. I'm not sure if there's anything else. If, if there is, and anyone's listening and knows of recent papers that show that radar sliders actually out compete native turtles, please let us know. Um, but as far as I'm aware, that's relatively limited. Um, if you release, let's say, eastern painted turtles, right? We're we're in an intergrade zone here in Connecticut, and our eastern painted turtles are like 25% midland painted turtles. Like you can just see it; they're mostly eastern, but there's some remnants of of midland. And it really isn't just like we have the eastern painted turtle here. That's what it's listed as, but it, it's gradual. The changes from of painted turtles across the range. Um, I think. I'm not sure if Pope or um, or Archie Carr were the first ones. It might be Pope who was the first one who who actually wrote about that fact that um, the integrate zones with with the painted turtles. But um, release an eastern painted turtle, even if it's from where Kevin is in Milford, and I'm 30 minutes away in in Wallingford. Like a biologist isn't going to sign up for that, and it actually then starts to really muddy the gene pool where. I don't know of any red ear sliders and painted turtles hybridizing. So um, you're not muddying the gene pool by releasing them. You're, you're doing other things. But basically, you know, the, they'll argue no animal from from uh, captivity should be released for okay, okay, a, a myriad me, of reasons. I mean, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, of course, you'll say that, but it doesn't matter. People I know. Gonna, anyway, they're mm-hmm. going to yeah. turtles anyway. It doesn't matter what you say. The fact is they have the ability to get the turtle. And then they're going to take the turtle when it's too big. And not everyone does it. You know, some people are responsible. They'll take it someplace where it should be or where they're going to put those turtles. But people just dump them. And I have I have New York waterways to prove it. You know, I've got thousands of turtles all over the place. And they're being dumped there all the time by people who just don't know what to do with them. And they're not going to bother to do anything else because it's too difficult. It's easier just to dump them. But my, to answer your point about the gene pool. So then if you want to say that, then why are, for example, you can order... Uh, at any school, uh, at Carolina Biological Supply Company, you can order monarch butterflies and breed them yourself in your home mm-hmm. and release them in the spring where they're supposed to go and join other native butterflies that are flying. They're doing their Canadian route to South America, whatever. And suddenly these man-made laboratory-bred um monarch butterflies are suddenly mingling or mixing in with the native populations of butterflies and no one gives a f about it i mean nobody really cares they're still the kid you know the mothers are buying the butterflies for the kids no one cares you could you know this is a similar kind of an issue if you think about it right because no one's going to say oh no we can't we're going to stop selling the monarch butterflies because you know they're 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 mixing with the, the native butterflies and now the native butterflies are dying out because their the gene pool is being destroyed so i mean what do you i mean i understand what you're saying but this is very important i mean what is your feeling so you say it's better to have a ready slider in those waters rather than say um a painted turtle eastern painted turtle that's a new york native painted turtle in connecticut i have an idea okay. you want to know my idea here because sure. we're talking about solutions and solutions are difficult to come up with because these are complex problems with a whole bunch of things to consider and maybe i'm I'm overlooking something, but this just popped in my head now. 
let's take, again, we'll use Connecticut just because we keep talking about it, Kevin and I, and that's what we'll use as an example. So we outlawed the red ear slider. Now they're starting with the, with the map turtles. If you outlaw the map turtles, it's going to be the cooters. If you outlaw the cooters, it's going to be Western painted turtles. It's going to be something that could pose a threat the same way the red ear slider does and potentially worse with hybridization if it was a Western painted turtle. So what about a, uh, see, for me, the, the four-inch law is stupid because we're forcing people into losing situations. You're going to get a readier slider, and it's not going to be what you want for your family. You get it at yeah. four inches, you think, oh, it's bigger than I wish it was, but it's manageable. No, it's going to be 12 inches. It's going to have green water. It's going to be putrid. It's going to get shell rot. The, the UVB bulb you bought for $45 is going to burn out, and you're going to be over it. Mm-hmm. And that's when you're going to either look for help or you're going to dump it. Usually it's the latter. So I think pet stores should have to talk to some kind of committee about what species they should be able to carry and why at that time. And it can change, right? So committee says, well, you can, you can sell red cheek mud turtles Mm -hmm. because they don't get huge. And guess what? If you release it, it's going to die. That's what, that's how it should work. Will it work that way? No, but that's what it should be. There's a couple topics you guys are forgetting too, that go ahead, Aria, when you're done, I'll bring them up, but go ahead. All right. Yeah. Hold on that. because you can come in there. Um, all right, let's just look at what's going on with fishing regulations, okay? And actually, it's quite intelligent, okay? Years ago, I could go ahead and go to the, the fish tackle store, and I could buy all kinds of bait fish and put them on my lures and throw them in the lake, and these fish would escape, and then there'd be introduced fish, and there'd be all kinds of things coming from the bottom of my boat going in the water, snails and all kinds of mollusks and things. And now, suddenly, like, wait a minute, the state comes in and says, no, 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 no. You can no longer carry this. You can't carry that. We're going to let you use this bait fish because it's native to New York State. You can use this worm because it doesn't have some disease that came from South Africa. And we're going to let you keep fishing, but we're cleaning up our waterways. So they really went in there. The the state went in there and they started regulating the entire fishing industry and freshwater fishing so that the ecosystems could repair themselves and become more native than they have been in many, many years. And they can do the same thing with the turtles. I really believe this. Um, so I don't know if you've thought about it on that level. I, I, I you know, both. I mean, I, I love the idea that Anthony just came up with, but there's, you know, there's definitely some credibility to what you're bringing up too. But some of the things that, that I just wanted to throw in here that we know are definitely uh, factors in this whole game is, okay, if you, you know, if, if, let, let's say, all right, no more exotics. It's going to just be natives. Okay. And we, 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 our states basically have the same natives. Okay. So, uh, I, I live in, you know, uh, North Jersey near the, near the Delaware water gap or something like that. Okay. And, uh, I, I get sick of having my wood turtle. Okay. Because I was allowed to have a wood turtle because it's native here, you know, and now if it, if it gets out, it's supposed to be part of the ecosystem, but that's not usually how it goes or, it may, or there's too great of a chance that it won't go that way. And number one, turtle keepers tend to have other turtles, okay? We all have that problem, okay? So there's that disease transmission, okay, right off the bat, all right? Uh, you know, and not to talk about a disease in a time period of, in America where we're already, you know, crapping our pants over everything, but that is a very real issue, okay? If, if my wood turtle... <laughs> if my wood turtle escapes or I ditch him because I don't want him anymore, not only is he going to possibly pass on, you know, incompatible genetics, you know, for, for whatever reason, but he could be carrying something that he 
may be perfectly fine with, but could potentially wipe out an entire wild population. Okay, desert tortoises with mycoplasma and other things. That's a very real issue that, that we know about. Um, and those are two things that, that really, and one of the other things that comes into play here, which is getting really hard now, these uh, law enforcement agencies, they can't tell the difference. Okay, so they may not be able to tell the difference between a captive bred or a wild caught turtle. And let me tell you, in today's day and age where you've got people like us that are constantly forcing down the public's throat how to properly raise a turtle, it gets to a point where it can be virtually indistinguishable between captive bred and wild. Okay, that's something that a lot of us pride ourselves on. Look at how amazing this animal has been growing. Maybe it's more colorful or whatever, but for the most part, it's structure, the smoothness of the shell, the, the, the structure of the, beach, uh, the beak, everything about it lines up with a wild turtle. So that presents a problem for, for law enforcement. Now they really can't tell the difference, okay? Some of, you know, yeah, you still come across the sulcata tortoise that looks like SpongeBob SquarePants, okay? But, <laughs> but now you've got sulcata tortoises that really have beautiful shells that some of them, their African cousins are like, damn! You know what I mean? Like they, they look amazing, you know? So is that too much? I thought. No, no, it's great. That was uh, so good. Let's, 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 <laughs> just, let's dial back for a second on this um, <laughs> disease situation. Yeah, so, so good. Yeah, so population. I think we've seen something like this recently in Australia with Tasmanian devils. Is it possible? There was. Uh, uh, I didn't see that, but I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, there's been a wipeout, a massive wipeout of, 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 of Tasmanian devils in Australia, and, and it was related to you know, the mixing of, of captive, uh, I mean, I believe that, you know, captive animals were mixing with the wild animals and, and they caught, you know, diseases. We've seen this with buffalo, we've seen it with cattle. So I guess the point is, is that's a very, very touchy subject. And of course, the rule is, the, the, the scientific rule is never, ever release a turtle that you've had in captivity. However, it's okay to pick up a turtle and move it across the road, but you cannot uh, have a pet turtle and then hope to release it. I've heard of, I've heard of confiscated wood turtles, hundreds of them. And the poor turtles can never go back to nature. Uh, they're, they're, they are, uh, captured and they've been, you know, they have to be put, put to sleep or they have to be put in a place where they shouldn't be or, you know, and, and that's, that's also is a tragedy, you know, because you've got these, these are not common turtles and you, and you know, suddenly someone had like a hundred of them illegally and they get taken away, but they don't end up in the right place. I know Chris, you deal with a lot of this cause I mean, they, they bring you, uh, they bring you contraband turtles or whatever. Yeah. You know what you're doing with them, but I'm sure that a lot of folks, Sometimes. End, yeah. <laughs> but, but the, what people need to understand, those turtles are still dead. Even if they're living at Chris's or somewhere else or they're at a zoo or whatever and they went through the confiscation process and they were one of the lucky ones that survived. They're dead to the that animal, It's still dead. So it's, yeah. And then the, the one thing, you know, people contacting me all the time wanting to get involved in conservation stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very big on semantics. It's, it's not conservation 99.99999% of the time. It's at its very best. It's assurance and preservation um, so that that species still exists. If it's a species that'll end up being extinct in the wild, that it will still exist. And we're waiting, uh, you know, to use the title of that um, very sad turtle documentary. Uh, we're waiting um, and hoping on chances of the world changing, basically, that that um, we're hoping that the world will be a better place so that we could eventually release turtles back in the wild. But even at its best, it's still complicated because even, even if I have 
uh, a species and I'm breeding it in captivity, is that animal actually going to back into the wild? It It's not. It's just not. So it's not really conservation. And, you know, for, to, to answer those questions that people who contact me all the time about uh, conservation-minded projects, I wrote a, an article on this, but um, for people who have that question, it's it's focus on something that will focus on something that will make you happy because mm -hmm. it's not going to work out in terms of conservation and reintroducing. That's a strong word. Hey, so I'd like to read something from the chat from our buddy, uh, Greg Brashear. Uh, Hi, Greg. Is a hey, hey, everybody. Hey, Greg. Hey, Greg. I'm going to stand for him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the answer is a culture change, and that takes time and generations. One would hope over time, turtles as pet store pets might eventually fade out, hopefully along with other impulse by species. And yeah. just to add to that really quick, we can't even get taken care of people, right? Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, Good they point. Don't care. People aren't going to care about turtles if they can't care about, like, our our, our own species. Mm -hmm. You know? Totally. So it's, it's a tough thing. Well, yeah, let me totally. add something to that. So, obviously in all cultures and society, especially in third world countries right now, we're seeing the beginnings because of massive movements of populations, popul overpopulation, loss of resources, loss of water. Uh, animals are just instantly wiped out because uh, people are reaching levels where they just can't even feed themselves. And this is happening, it's been happening for many decades in the third world, but it could happen here. You know, it's, it's sort of starting to happen here in ways too. Because yeah, there's there are people who are concerned, but it's it's kind of like more like people who care or, or they think they're doing the right thing. But as Anthony said, you know, right now we can't really reintroduce these animals into the wild. We can only try to keep them from disappearing. So I mean, it's a very different uh, analysis of where things should be as opposed to what we can do. And uh, everybody thinks that you know, kind of like Anthony was saying, like we're we're you know. You know, we all get these, you know, questions all the time. H how are you able to do that? Or how can I get involved? You know, uh, Casey, my wife, gets bombarded with, with people wanting to help with the Terrapin project, you know, especially when the season starts approaching. And, and you know, in, in a sense, it's on one hand, you're, you know, this is great that these people want to do something or they're asking you how they can get their own project uh, but on the other hand, you know, you never know who you can trust, you know, which is why, you know, the state has in place with us a very strict vetting process. I mean, you're like basically looking at the people right here that are on the permit with us. You know what I mean? Like, because we know that these guys are, you know, they're like family to us. So, you know, it's, it's great that people's hearts are in the right places, but some of the worst things ever are, are done with the best intentions. You know what I mean? Like, because people don't really understand, you know, the, the guy that is, that is just keeping a colony of turtles or tortoises in his backyard and breeding them for a hobby or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not conservation. Okay. Again, going back to like the 99.99999% you know, yeah, maybe there's like that little tiny sliver that it's like a form of conservation because of what it can do for that. You know, you know what I mean? Like it might lessen the take in when it comes to poaching and that's a whole nother topic, but there's preservation and there's conservation and it, 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 it's all needed. All of it is needed for any of these animals to be around in the future. You cannot say, well, I keep them and I'm doing great and I'm doing the best thing. So, you know, I don't, I want nothing to do with these conservation or organizations and vice versa. It can't be like that. 
And real quick, just before we forget, Steve, can I read that comment that from Lisa? Yeah, is it give me the okay? I can't even hear him. He's smiling. He's not answering, but I think <laughs> okay. Lisa, Steve's wife, uh, w w is watching the show, and she really said something cool here. She said, you can regulate until you are blue in the face, but you can't dummy-proof anything well enough to prevent issues from dumb people who just don't want to take responsibility. And that that is about as true as it gets. You know? well, she's, she's talking about me, I feel like. Everything that she's, <laughs> talking about you. she's absolutely right, 100%. Oh, it says here, Anthony. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dummy. It only takes one person to ruin the stew. You know, I mean, sure. like you said, it only takes one person to go in there and, and uh, you know, one human being can, can destroy a population of turtles. You know, run, one wrong, one wrong uh, driven individual can wipe out a turtle population, which is really... We have the habit of... I'm just going to say one more thing here. We have the habit of the good gets punished with the bad. So that's right. what happens. You know, these people that have that, that are purposely intending to hurt turtle populations don't care. I don't care. This is my country. This is my land. I can take, 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 you know, uh, that makes it makes us all look bad. You know what I mean? And, and that's when you get these blanket laws in effect. And then it's like, well, great. What do we do now? What can we honestly do now to save them? You know? Mm, fascinating. Well, let me let me talk about some positive things for a few minutes. <laughs> very negative. So early this spring, we're going to go out uh, and we're going to actually film some fantastic wild populations of spotted turtles. And I won't, I can't reveal where they are, but we're, we're going to be looking at some spotted turtle populations that are kind of like pre-Civil War size populations. So I don't know what that means to you, but, uh, and we're going to be studying that and trying to ascertain how those populations have managed to survive to this point in time because the spotted turtles everyone knows is a highly valuable everyone loves them and they're very slow and they, they can't really run away very fast and they're easy to catch and they're small and uh, they disappeared very fast uh, even in, in the early 70s when I was a kid they were disappearing at that time um, so they've certainly you know disappeared much much more now um, but we're going to be filming some wild populations that we're also going to be filming some very large populations of Blanding's turtles, um, also early in the spring. And um, what's very fascinating, and also as well as box turtles, uh, eastern box turtles, which are hard because they're kind of spread out over large areas and they're small populations. But one of the focuses that we're going to be doing with these animals is to try to figure out what is their current greatest threat. So, for example, with the, uh, with the box turtle, they have, a problem, they have a problem with these little mites or these little... Uh, these little animals that are eating them, you know, um, wow. yeah, they're, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to wait for Steve to come up with a word because I don't know the word for it. It's like a small mite that they get infected and they have to jump in the salt water or something to kill this mite. And the doctors, all the veterinarians who are treating them are having to pull these things off of them. And that's a new threat because of the global warming and all of these, you know, changes in the insect populations and all this. And so, you know, we're going to be looking at the various threats that are to these, you know, current populations of turtles that are still existing, but now they're getting new threats that are coming, you know, on a biological level, you know, whether it's mosquitoes or it's uh, type plant infestations or all these other things that are not uh, related to people collecting them, but it's related to environmental changes that are affecting all species. So it's, this is an important time, you know. To the the mites you're talking about—that's for box turtles or diamondback terrapins. No, it's for box turtles, and uh, I, maybe the 
Frogmites? Does that make sense? Has anyone heard of a Frogmites? Frag Fragmites? The, the Is this ringing a bell with any of you guys? You guys are the experts. I mean, Fragmites, but but not a not not uh, not an insect. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah. Well, I'm gonna. I, I should have came more prepared for that statement, but. <laughs> Something is <laughs> something something in the box turtles. Yeah, no, there's the murder hornets, is it? What's that? It's not the murder hornets, is it? I feel like we skipped no, over it. <laughs> no, they're murder hornets. No, but there, there is, I think it's Fragmites, but I'll, I will do my research and I'll have something posted correct on this. But anyhow, the, the, those turtles are, are under attack. Ticks, all kinds of stuff. I'm sure when you see them wandering around your property, you know, sometimes you see certain adults that are, you know, fighting off all kinds of natural Thing. The only thing that we ever see with them here, which I think we discussed on the episode with Ken Sofer, was uh, we see a lot of, um, I, I mean, a lot, you know, it, to me, a lot is one in, in every five or six. They, uh, they'll have a pretty gnarly looking ear abscess or they will have some kind of respiratory infection, you know, and it's, uh, it's not necessarily during a time of year where we're having a really bad, like weird cold spring or anything. It's like in the middle of summer you know, a box turtle comes wandering through the yard and, and he's got an ear abscess out to here. And, you know, you just want to help that animal, but you, you can't, you know, it, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're permitted to do what we do with Dimeback Terrapins, but not box turtles, not yet, at least. Right. Um, what, um, do you guys have any questions for me on the documentary um, that you'd like to ask? I do. I want to talk to more. I want to talk to Ari, the filmmaker, a little bit. Can I yeah, do that? Sure. What, like, so, so I watched 79 parts recently. Is that how you say it? Or do you say like 79 parts? Yeah. It's, if Mr. Envers can get the poster up, it'd be nice if possible. Does he have it for 79 parts? He cool. does. He's yeah. 79 parts. Yeah, so I watched that recently and I had so much fun with it. First of all, I was quarantined at the time. I was stuck by myself. I'm like, this is perfect. I'm going to watch every Ari movie I can get my hands on, but no, but it was really good. And that's on Amazon prime. That's and, correct. um, yeah, and it's, it's, it was good. It's like, uh, everything you love about a period piece or a mob movie mixed with like, uh, like delightfully like funny vibe. It was really good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I worked, on, I worked on that movie for about five years. We were in production on that. And that was shot all over, uh, New York and we had to create the film takes place in 1979. So we had to recreate New York in 1979. And bring back, you know, the cars and the fashion and, you know, the attitudes of people. New York was a rough place back then. Uh, that was a really fun project. And, you know, I would be shooting a feature right now, but, you know, everyone's wearing a mask. So it's like you're trying to shoot the actors. It's not going to look good. So it's better to film turtles. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they don't have to wear the mask. But, no, I, 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 I am a feature film director and uh, I only do documentaries uh, occasionally. Um, but in, in terms of making 79 parts, uh, we filmed over five years, and that was a 10-year project. Um, it took 10 years to make the film. And the films uh, generally can take a long time because of so many reasons. And a lot of it has to do with funding, you know, getting funding and then, you know, being able to get it done and uh, staying in production and, you know, trying to keep the energy up. But it is, it is a tough uh, – the film yeah. industry is a tough, tough business. And then, of course – I just remember uh, dealing with actors over a long period of time. We were filming actors over five years and they were aging. So we had to keep them looking the same. We'd shoot a scene on Tuesday uh, that takes place in one room. And then the Wednesday scene was shot five years later. And we had to make sure that wow. they looked the same in terms of weight and the hair and everything. And an actor gets cast in another movie and he has to grow a beard. We have to work around that or we have to have him shave it. 
Um, we were constantly coloring people's hair. It turned gray. Um, see, I, I don't think you picked up on that, Anthony, which is good. when you No, watched I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> that is the, that, those are the secrets of filmmaking, you know, trying to um, continuity. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. It really is. Now I've I gain a lot of weight. It's one of my great skills, and I'm in your documentary. <laughs> yeah, well, I was thinking about that because I was gonna I was gonna shoot another scene with you. But I looked at you and I was like, you know what? That's not gonna cut. So we're gonna ready. Yeah, we'll have to. Shoot this guy was looking all right. Yeah, like five years later, because if I try to if I try to intersperse the footage of you, you know, at the pond with the shot yeah. of the tree, and people, you know, it'll throw them. They'll be like, Whoa, that's true. That's a magic trick. <laughs> No, yeah. right. Just, we don't have that problem. It'd be fine. It's a documentary. We're allowed to do that documentary. We can show you long, old. We can show you young. <laughs> you know? Wow. It's been a long pond pandemic. So, uh, you know, pandemic. <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> Podcast pandemic. Any other movie questions on that one? Uh, so, so you mentioned that you know you're you're looking at the turtles now because of um, the the pandemic and actors with the masks and all that. Did did that kind of kick you back into gear with the documentary? Like, okay, I kind of started this project. I've been excited about it. This gives me an opportunity to put a little more time into it. Uh, you know, I, I'm working on several projects. It's funny that that all don't involve masks and one I'm doing right now. Also, another one I'm going to show you is um, for kids. I'm doing a whole thing on the 1960s GI Joes. I'm doing like, oh, no way. Yeah, cool. all these GI Joes and they're all cool. you know, talking to each other and they're going to war and all that. And they don't wear masks either. The uh, masks don't fit them. The, the mask is too big, you know, so I don't need right. to wear that. So, so, you know, I'm working on turtles and, and G.I. Joe's. These are perfect subjects to film right now because there's no, you know, I, I like my work to be timeless. I don't want to have a set of work that looks like, oh, he shot that during, uh, you know, the pandemic of 2020. Mm -hmm. No, I'm, my work has to stand on its own no matter when it's being watched, you know. Sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But uh, I've, and we've got a new feature that we're working on called The Odds. It's a comedy that takes place in Atlantic City, and that's a lot of fun. If you enjoyed Seven Nine Parts, you really enjoy The Odds. I can't wait. That's awesome. It's a yeah. lot of fun. It's another. It's you know these are these are multi million dollar movies. These these, these are big features, and there's no turtles in, in The Odds. But um, but you know All everyone right. has their specialty. Hey, if All we right, can, if can we be extras? Sure. No I, I asked him that already. It's no problem. Like, you got. You have to need a seven foot, four hundred pound extra at some point. Oh yeah, need a bouncer, this bouncer, fat yeah. guy with a hot dog. Like, there's got to <laughs> be a part. It's not an issue putting you guys. Already, you guys are hams. I've already. Got, I'm shooting sequences with you uh, with Chris. We're gonna actually look at in the past in the documentary doing flashbacks. I mean, there's there's a lot of room for some yeah. fun stuff. Can, here. can you uh, can you speak to to the listeners just just for a second about about like. What you're gonna be? Doing. Stop laughing! You're making me laugh. Okay. Sorry. Um, what you're gonna be doing? Oh, Steve just said that he could be a retired NBA player who let himself go. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's ba that's basically what I am, except I, I wasn't good. Okay, no, seriously. Can you, uh, you know, without giving too much away or anything, but to, just to give some people um, some info uh, about what you're gonna be doing with this documentary? Like you just said, you're gonna be staging some. Uh, um, you're going to have some actors in this, you know, that are going to be playing. Okay. So the, yeah, the, so the actor stuff in the documentary, you know, how, um, sometimes they'll have recreations, right. You know, yep. like a dramatization. So we'll, we do that sometimes we don't do that a lot and we do it very obviously. 
it's more it's more to sort of get a point across you know when you're doing a documentary you want to go back to a time or a place and and you're gonna it's almost like um uh when you're watching the you know the civil war series by by burns you know where he kind of like you have voices and then you have images and stuff and you're trying to get into that period the best way to do it with an audience is to is to bring them there you know to Mm -hmm. physically bring them there through you know images and sound and and pictures and everything because you want to recreate yeah your point is so yeah so some of those sequences with you as a kid that we want to shoot are just um great stories that you told and we need to get the audience there so we got to kind of show you as a kid and we kind of recreate those scenarios it just helps to will make- you be getting uh jonathan taylor thomas to play me as a kid or you know i, I have not negotiated with his agent yet <laughs> he's, he's older than you he, he is also, older than me <laughs> where are you going to find a kid fat Peter enough Turtles. he doesn't hey, like i was fat as a kid Earth. I can't wait. He's got to be fat. Yeah. Right. Kev, you're muted. He's got to be fat. He's definitely got to be fat. Yeah, and he's got to have a bowl of craft macaroni and cheese. Okay, we can do that. So, uh, I was, was going to say, I was going to say, I know it's like a high budget item for this, but if you got Chris like kneeling inside his shoes and just walking around, that might work, you know? Uh, I do want to have a scene with Chris running away from his turtles, his wife. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't run. I do not run. <laughs> I want this scene where Chris has like been shrunk down to like a G.I. Joe size and suddenly he becomes the food for the turtles because he doesn't have any more strawberries and he's <laughs> running and he knows where to hide because he knows all the hiding places in these habitats and he's literally trying to get away from these turtles. It's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. That's a good That's idea. Really, really good. I don't want to share the can't escape it. Do yeah, yet. let's not yeah, let's not give away yeah, the end. Uh, you know. Yeah, oh yeah my I'm God. a little bit. I think so. they're writing me out. No, no, no. Honey, I shrunk the turtle nerd. <laughs> <laughs> we would I love be. that movie. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Wow. That's really good. I I'm I'm excited for everything. Uh, you had the Kickstarter campaign recently uh, for your, uh, for the documentary and it's a documentary series, as you mentioned. So, um, everyone be on the lookout for it. Uh, we're really excited for it. It's, it's going to be great. Uh, guys, any closing thoughts before, I think we had a really good dialogue. I think, you know, let me just be clear about this, Ari. I think you have a lot of really common sense points that, uh, that we've all had as well. But, you know, you're kind of it's almost like uh, success or 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 um, professional uh, growth in general. You're basically you don't know what you're going to be doing in 10 years. You have an idea of what it's going to look like and and you go for it. This is similar where you're you have an idea that you want to help turtles and and there's some really there's some things that don't seem to make much sense and there's got to be a way that we can fix it but we don't really know what it is yet so you keep coming up with those ideas coming back to the drawing board working on it and then hoping that uh you can make a little bit of headway make some make some allies along the way that you can you know kind of join together in the movement to try to make things make more sense and make the world a better place for these animals um and that's what the turtle room has been over almost 10 years now. Hey, we have an idea, we have ideas, we have energy, we have good heads on our shoulders. Let's get together and try to make something happen. And then starts the 10 year or really for us, it's what will be a lifelong process of hitting brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. So we don't mean to shoot down any of those things. It's just the, everything's so complicated that it, 
it, it's enough to make you really get discouraged, but then you get little victories like our work with wood turtles in Pennsylvania or Chris's work with diamondback terrapins in New Jersey. Those were things I didn't think could happen 10 years ago after I started to try to come up with ideas and, and work on things and whatever. And, and now they're actually happening. So um, anyway, I, I hope that, that you get that from that, that we love the work that you're doing and that we don't mean to just be naysayers the whole time. No, no, not at all. Listen, you, you also are, are defending years of, of knowledge and research and, and you have followers and people that you're working with. So you guys are on the front lines of this. What I'm just trying to say, you know, if I can affect the, the national dialogue in a positive way, building it from, from talking to experts and people who know what's going on, uh, that can help to, to uh, change public in opinion and impressions of what should and shouldn't be done, whether or not I'm successful doesn't necessarily matter. What matters is that if the work that I'm doing rings true and if people can be brought to understand uh, sort of the POV of the turtle in a way that can help the turtles to uh, exist and to, to continue to exist beyond, uh, you know, I mean, they, they were here a lot longer before us, but, you know, to continue into the future, uh, that is something really important. And I think that, uh, you know, as a responsible filmmaker, I need to tell the truth and not, you know, make up nonsense or fake news or make just stuff up because I feel like it. It's got to be based on uh, science and understanding and what works and what doesn't work. But it's not going to stop me from trying to press for maybe naive ideas because those ideas themselves are still good. It's just that life and the world is so complicated that we have lost sight of these things because we're so caught up. Our, our lives are so... We are so uh, we have webs around our lives, and we cannot get out of those webs. And sometimes you just need to slash them down and burn through them to see if there is a way out. And it's fine; I can I can die trying, but at least I'm mm -hmm. going to try, and I'm going to try and do the best stuff. And with the help of, of your organization and other organizations, um, you know, it's a it's a it's a work in, it's a it's a progress where people work together. It's a collaborative effort. And at the end of the day. Um, it's going to it's going to shed light on things. It's going to educate people in ways that they are not educated, and especially reaching out to people that know nothing about turtles. It's even going to it's going to affect people who have a lot of knowledge about the animals and people who have no knowledge about them. And you know that's what's so important. I think that you know you, you collab, collab it's collaborative. It's collaboration, and it's not necessarily that we're like you know defending any of those topics. It, it's really not what it is because like you know we, we're seeing eye to eye on a lot of this and. What I think is so important about this documentary, and maybe there will be more to come, maybe other filmmakers will step up to the plate and do more stuff like this, because, you know, if it just begins to open minds, it starts that collaborative effort beyond just the people in this podcast right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what's going to be important is that it, it, everything is complicated, but nothing's impossible. And that's what we need is we need more of the masses to see that some of these ideas, if not all of them, can be actual possibilities. And, and I think that what you're doing can really um, shed light on that. I think it'd be beneficial to turtles and the people involved with them around the world. We're going to be previewing some of the early clips through you guys. So in other words, your audience and, and my Kickstarter audience are going to get a preview of, of what we're doing. So you're going to have a chance to see it and comment on it before we go public. Uh, we're, we're going to be going to film festivals and we're going to try and get it on national television. Uh, we'll probably hit uh, Nat Geo and some of the stations that, that deal mostly with animals and stuff. So, uh, you know, the more educational and the more interesting the project turns out to be, 
the larger a footprint it's going to have. And awesome. obviously it's going to end up on the web as well. And, you know, uh, I love the videos, videos that you guys do and, uh, you guys have a great platform and with your help, we got our funding with the Kickstarter because you helped promote our project. And once you put your mark on it, uh, we reached our goal really fast. So I want to thank you guys. It took us a little while to get, to get on there, but fashionably <laughs> late to the party. Like yeah. My fault. <laughs> I mean, like a box. That's not your fault. Not at all. <laughs> okay. It's my fault. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. So, yeah. but thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We're really excited for it. Is any other questions it, from the audience? Any any questions online there? Anybody to, to answer? Okay. A we, lot of the we, questions that were asked, we were answering in time actually. Uh, gotcha. Okay, great. Fantastic. All right. Uh where can people find uh the project? Is there is there like a URL or, or yeah. something or social media or something? Yeah, it's it's I mean, we should put something up on your site maybe after the show, but it's a it's a Turtle Doc film uh website which we'll put a link to. Um, so that people can kind of see what's going on. But we haven't, uh, you know, our first episodes are not done yet. The, the Kickstarter was raising money for editing and shooting. So probably uh, in the springtime, we're going to have our first uh, episode done. And then that'll be followed by other episodes because we're shooting uh, all the episodes uh, at the same time, but in different sequences. So they all, you know, we're working on all of them at the same time. So starting early spring, you're going to start to see see the work coming out. That's great. Yeah. I got a link up there in the chat for everybody. Oh, cool. Great. Excellent. Uh, one, la one thing, too, to bring up real quick. Uh, this is going to be a big year for the Turtle Room. Uh, this is the Turtle Room and Garden State Tortoise's 10-year anniversaries. So, um, you know, I think from all of us, thank you guys. Yes, Kevin, that would – I saw that as a zero. One. One. Hopefully yeah. everybody else saw that as a 10. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you all so much for the undying support across the board. I, this has been a pretty amazing ride for all of us so far. And uh, being involved with people like Ari and, and this documentary is just a testament to the fact that uh, we ain't done and none of us are going to probably ever be done doing what we love here. So, um, you know, make sure you guys are following everything that we do because uh, we're going to shove the 10 year anniversary stuff down your throats pretty much. It's going to be yeah. a good be ready for that. You're going to love it. <laughs> Actually, next shirts and graphics. Next month is the eight year anniversary of the podcast. Next wow. next episode next month. Yeah. Yeah. I was excited for that one. I mean, the big eight, the big eight. Yeah. When we, we started just doing audio only in a Toyota Tercel. That's a true cool. story. Yep. Yep. And I just remember I just told you I was on half of them now, which blows my mind. I know it's crazy. It's well, we've, we've started, you were a big part of helping us set up the, and, and obviously Steve setting up the, um, steady, you know, it be, became less sporadic and we were actually regimented in the way we were releasing them. And, uh, that, that's why if you look at the, the production, how many we've been, we've been producing every single year, this has been our best year and it's gone up every single year since the beginning. So, um, so this was a good year, but now we have to beat it in 2021. And so far we're doing well cause we're only four days in and here we are. So yeah. thank you for that. Yeah. I want to <laughs> say one more thing about the whole sure. production aspect of it. Uh, you guys may not realize this, but this show has gone like create the viewers, not you guys. Uh, the viewers should know like the quality is so much better. And that's because Steve is behind actually doing everything that you see. Yeah. And it's a testament to like, you know, what he's doing for this show. It's amazing. And while we loved having him on air, I think you're you're doing such a great job behind the scenes that it's making it work so much better. So totally. thanks, Steve. 
He's the greatest. He, he, he had some great jokes tonight, too. Good job, yeah. Steve. He really did. He was really making fun of us. Yeah, <laughs> really. It's, it stinks. See, he's a veteran, so he knows. You yeah, need to yeah, make yeah. fun of Anthony. Yeah. And you guys are coming around. You guys <laughs> are coming there. around. There. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, thank you so much. So um, it is a new year. We we have the Turtle Room calendars available. So be sure to check that out if you don't if you haven't ordered one already. That's like a staple. Um, proceeds from that go to the Turtle Room and the Turtle Survival Alliance. Um, yeah, and until next time, te- check out uh, Turtle Doc Movie. Is that what it is? Right. Turtle Doc Film. Yeah, Turtle Doc Film. I'm embarrassed. Turtle Doc film. Of course. Of course. You'll be seeing more of Ari because uh, we look forward to partnering with him. And uh, yeah, his work is just incredible. You see a little video he throws together and holy crap, knocks your socks right off. Yeah, seriously. So we're looking forward to seeing what he comes up with. And just a little taste that he's given us here and there has been incredible. So can't wait to see it. Thank you so much, guys, for having me on the show. I really enjoyed it, and I look forward to working with you. And if you get any uh, comments later from people, both negative or positive, please send them my way. I'm happy to answer questions for people who are maybe scared about what I'm doing or want to know a little more about it before they open up. Because obviously I'm looking at, you know, the good side and the dark side of this whole thing, like the dark side of the moon. So, you know, it's important that people uh, understand that I'm try- trying to come at this from a good place. You know? Sure. Yeah. Right. Of course. Cool. Yeah. I think it's apparent that you're coming from a good place. Yeah, that that's the big one too. Like we talk, and I think our you and I have talked about this on on the phone as well. Like uh, Tiger King and and other documentaries that really, you know, uh, hey, come and be in my documentary, and then, like yeah, you know, uh, doesn't always end well for everyone. So I have to admit, before I knew, I was a little wary, uh, wary of things, but um, I've happy I've to be come a part to, of it. Yeah, I've come to trust you a lot and, and really appreciate what you're doing because it's all in the name of, of making things better for turtles. So, yeah, so happy to be a part of it. Very proud. And also remember that we're, we're if you need middle-aged white guys, we'd love to be extras. In the springtime, then, without masks. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm vaccinated. Good. Okay. That's I'll right. let you know. You're the only I'm one. I die for you. Okay. <laughs> need a bodyguard, let me know. I'd die for you. All right. Thank you guys so much for for tuning in. And uh, until next time, later. Bye. Peace. Good night.